You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Amen. We're in that portion of Israel's history. It's a divided kingdom, north and south. Second Chronicles tracks the history primarily of the southern kingdom known as Judah. Jerusalem, of course, the capital there. The lineage of David is on the throne in Judah. Israel to the north, also part of God's chosen people, but uh, they would go through a number of various dynasties in terms of kings, not, not following the lineage of David. So, so God preserved the lineage of David by keeping two tribes in the south under his lineage, and the rest of the nation would be under, at this particular time, the, the uh, dynasty of Omni, but Ahab is the most recent king. We pick it up tonight in the history. Jehoshaphat is the king of the south in Judah. And you'll remember most recently he wrongly aligned himself in battle with Ahab to the north. And Ahab was killed in the battle, but Jehoshaphat was spared. Really, his life was spared. He cried out to God in the midst of the battle, and God was merciful. And we pick it up here now in chapter 19. We we see the balance of Jehoshaphat's reign in the south. And he's coming home from that battle that he just barely escaped uh, where Ahab was also killed. Verse 1, Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. He rebukes him. The prophet comes out and says, hey, Jehoshaphat, you should not have gone and aligned yourself with Ahab. He's a wicked king. He hates God. He's a, his wife is an idolatress. And you went and joined forces with him. And God is displeased with that. And so you've come home in shame. Nevertheless, verse 3, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. Your heart is good, Jehoshaphat. You've done well with the people here in the south, even though this was really a mistake where you aligned yourself improperly with with Ahab. So he's rebuked, he's disciplined, but he's also encouraged. You know, God is with you. God does see your heart. God does recognize that even though you misstepped, that your heart is seeking the Lord. Aren't you glad to know that God sees our hearts? Because we too sometimes misstep in our walk. We, we make false alliances or bad decisions, or in a moment we find ourselves kind of off course. But then God in his mercy, he draws us back. And that's what's happened to Jehoshaphat, that he was out there in battle and realized, oh, I'm in the, ba- I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. He cries out to God. God delivers him. And now he's coming home and God is letting him know, look, what you did was wrong. God's displeased, but God sees your heart. He knows your heart is looking to seek him and and wanting to do good. And you have done good in the land. These things have been noticed by the Lord. Pick it up now, verse 4. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. He's back in in, in good uh, step again. His heart is now seeking the Lord, and he wants to bring God's people back to the Lord as well. Verse 5, Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you, 
Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no taking of bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also, the Levites will be officials for you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. So this is Jehoshaphat. He's come home, and it's kind of, he's been rebuked. He's been disciplined. But it's kind of a fresh start in his heart again. And he realizes, Lord, what was I thinking down there aligning myself with those characters? I, I need to come back to you, and I need to bring your people back to you. And he goes about into the land, as he'd done earlier. We saw this in prior chapters, and begins to instruct the people in the ways of the Lord. And in so doing, he also sets up judges in the cities, those that would discern matters of dispute within the nation. He wants to restore God's law, God's ways, and God's will back into the heart of the nation. And he's very deliberate about it, very intentional about getting out there and sowing this back into the land. It says he went out again among the people and brought them back to the Lord. You know, sometimes the only way to bring somebody back to the Lord is you have to go out and bring them back. Jesus speaks of that shepherd, that good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and bring back that one lost sheep, right? He says, Jesus says that, you know, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner coming to repentance. God is interested in the lost. God is interested in those that have lost their way. And God is interested in going after them and bringing them back. And so we see this in the heart of Jehoshaphat. He goes out in amongst the people. This is not a king just sitting, enjoying the comforts of, comforts of his palace, resting on, you know, the, the blessing of being king. He cares about his people. He cares about God's people. And I think this is a good thing for all anybody in ministry, of course, that we would be reminded about shepherding God's people. Paul told the Ephesian elders, remember that the people you care for are the sheep that the Lord has purchased with his own blood. Just the importance and value of God's people to God. And so we see that uh, Jehoshaphat, he cares about bringing people back to the Lord. And, and also in, it, in setting up the judges that they would take heed to what they're doing. He says, listen, you need to have the fear of God in doing this. Don't let there be any, uh, you know, political bribery. Don't use your positions of influence for self, selfish reasons. Remember, God is overseeing this. What you're doing, you're doing for the Lord. And you need to do it in the fear of the Lord. Again, we bring that into some of the New Testament thinking 
where Paul says to the Colossians, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart as unto who? The Lord. God is the one who is ultimately tasking us to live our lives with integrity, to walk in light, to walk in love. And God sees and God knows. That's what the fear of God is intended. It's this accountability. I do what I do before the Lord. When no one else sees, God sees. When no one else is watching, God is watching. We live our lives before him. We live our lives unto him. And those things that we do, we do unto the Lord. You know, when no one's watching at work and you can be a little bit, you know, lax in your responsibility because after all, no one's watching and everybody does it. The Lord is watching. You're doing your work for who? For the manager who's not watching or for the Lord who is always watching? Your service is unto him. And so Jehoshaphat is trying to set up integrity in the nation. Act in the fear of the, of the Lord faithfully with a loyal heart. It's the Lord that entrusts us with ministry. It's the Lord that entrusts us with opportunity, whether it be in the workplace, whatever responsibility, whether you're a parent, whether you're a student, whether you're uh, just serving in, a, in a, a, any, kind of, any kind of capacity, you're doing it unto the Lord. And it's, in, it's important that you do it in the fear of the Lord. I, I like Jehoshaphat in that he cares about the people. He's trying to bring them home. And he's trying to set up good leadership throughout the nation to honor the Lord and to bring integrity. And he says something in verse 10, and I want to draw your attention again to it. He says, you know, as your brothers, if they, if they need correction, you're going to be, you know, also judging, but also warning. Look, he says, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. So he's letting these, these leaders know, not only do you have a responsibility to do your ministry, do your service with integrity and the fear of God, but you also have an accountability to be faithful in warning and instructing and caring for your brethren, lest they fall, lest judgment come upon them and you. He says, listen, you're, you're, God has given you a place to be a, a light, to be a watchman, to be a voice, to, make, uh, to, to have some, some correction within the land. Do it faithfully to protect them and you. Then you will not be guilty. And this reminded me of, and we won't turn to it, but you may remember when Ezekiel was told by the Lord what God wanted him to say to the people in warning. He said, I've set you up as a watchman. And a a watchman is somebody who's looking for danger. And when it comes, you warn the people, hey, there's trouble coming. And God said to Ezekiel, and he he uses many of his prophets this way, that they were to warn the people that they were getting away from the Lord that there was trouble coming, that judgment will come upon you if you do not repent and turn your heart back to the Lord. And God went on to say to Ezekiel, now listen, if you warn and they don't repent and they end up in trouble and coming under judgment and discipline, their blood is not on your hands. That's their own problem. You know, you warned them, they just went ahead and did what they wanted. But he, but he goes on to say to Ezekiel, but if I tell you to warn them and you don't warn them and they end up coming under judgment, their blood is on 
your hands. You had a responsibility as my watchman to warn those that were headed for trouble. Now, I don't want to just liken all of us to being watchmen or prophets, but I do think as the body of Christ, I think of, of what Jesus spoke to his disciples when, and when he would tell them, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a basket, right? You're the salt of the earth. Don't let that salt become unsalty. What was Jesus instructing his disciples? What do those instructions mean to us? We do have some responsibility, brothers and sisters, to be some type of a warning, a preserving, a light, a a witness to our generation. we, We can't just kind of circle the wagons, you know, hide out as in our Christian comfort, you know, zone, just, oh, and just looking out at the world. Oh, it's just so horrible out there. Oh, look what they're doing now. Oh, look what's passing now. Oh, oh, we're, you know, and we just kind of become isolated, insulated, and just kind of judging the world. But where is our witness to the world? Jehoshaphat went out into the land to return the heart of the people to God. And so every day, Monday through Friday, when you're out in the workplace, yes, we have our moments of worship. We're we're here tonight enjoying this fellowship with God and his people. And we'll do the same on Sundays. It's important that we would gather and that we would study the word together, that we would be refreshed, that we would be encouraged, that we would sharpen one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. But we're also missionaries. Just as Jehoshaphat went out back into the cities, so you and I, we go out into the land and to be faithful, warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. We have a responsibility to be a witness. Now, again, just like Ezekiel, look, if you warn them and they, they don't heed the warning, that's not on the watchman. And so we can't, we can't force anybody to change. I remember when I was a teenager and I first got saved, I thought I could just, you know, really force people to get saved. And I took my, I got so mad at them. I, you know, I cursed them out when they didn't get saved. I really, really made them feel bad about not receiving Christ foolishly. So that's not our responsibility. You can't, you can't turn a heart, but you can be a light. You can be a witness. You can be a warning. Now, now, when I think of warning, I, I don't think of us going out and trying to condemn every sinner you meet. I think of a, of a witness that says, you know, God loves you, and God wants to save you from sin and the, the brokenness of your own way. Now, not every heart wants to hear that. Not every life will hear that, but some will. Some definitely will. Some are definitely waiting. Some God is setting up opportunities for those divine moments for you to be that light, to be that salt, to warn your brethren, to give light, to be the watchman, to be salt and light. I'll quote this. You don't need to turn, but in Romans chapter 10, here's a promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that beautiful? Salvation is available for all whoever will call upon the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. But listen to what verse 14 says. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news. You hear the apostles' thought here. God will save anyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. But how can they call upon someone whom they've never believed? How can they believe in someone they've never heard? And how can they hear unless there's a preacher? And who can be that preacher? You, me, all of us. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Your feet are good, are beautiful carriers of the good news. We must uh, go out and win the world for Christ through our witness, through, through the uh, declaration of what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jehoshaphat was doing during his time. Look now to chapter 20. We see this instance now. Jehoshaphat, you kind of get the general he's, general sense. He's kind of restoring the nation, bringing their heart back to faith, setting up good leadership in the land, looking to, to be faithful as a king. But now this, this catastrophe comes, this challenge arises. Chapter 20 and verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, Excuse me. from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, this means they were getting close, and Gedi is down by the Dead Sea on their way to Jerusalem. He hears the news of this great group of a multitude coming up against him. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So now there's a giant prayer meeting, a national prayer meeting. They've come and they've gathered at the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 6, Jehoshaphat there, this is what he says. Listen to his prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. God intentionally said on their way out of Egypt that they were not to invade certain peoples. But now, here these same peoples are invading Jerusalem. Verse 11, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? 
For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. This is a powerful moment for the nation of Judah. This is a sincere prayer and cry from the king. As he gathers the people, he's declared this prayer and fast. Fasting is a a discipline that helps focus the, the one praying to be sincere and diligent in their prayer. Fasting does not motivate God as much as it motivates those of us that pray. When you combine prayer with fasting, it's just a way for you to be more intense and focused in prayer. It's a way to really set your heart in prayer. And that prayer focus, that prayer sincerity is a prayer that God is listening to and hearing. And so he declares this focused seeking of the Lord. They do it in unity. Just a few things about this prayer that we can notice. He begins his prayer in something of a phrase of worship. Verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? He begins his prayer in front of God's people with this declaration of who God is, his power, his faithfulness, who, that there is none like him. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he suggest they begin their prayers? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This understanding of who God is, it's, it's a healthy way to pray. And now I believe that God will hear any sincere prayer in any moment, in any phrasing, in any way you want to put it. I think God has an attentive ear to the cries of his people. But this is, I think, wise that when you come to the Lord in prayer, you, you begin with this declaration of worship and who he is. Not so much that, you know, he needs to hear it. But sometimes we need to hear it. Our Father who art in heaven. Let's remember who we're praying to. We're praying to the God in heaven, the God who rules over all the kingdoms of the nations, the God whose hand is power and might and no one can withstand him. That's who we appeal to when we pray. And he begins in worship. He begins in remembrance of God's faithfulness and his promises. In verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land? He's reflecting on how it is they've come to this land. Didn't we get here because of your work and your, your faithfulness and your bringing us to this place? Again, a, a practical thought for prayer. We begin with worship and declaring who he is. We begin with reminding our own hearts of his faithfulness and how it is that God has brought me this far. God, you've brought us to this place today because of your mercy, because of your working in our lives, because of your faithfulness, God. I have opportunity to pray even tonight, even now, because of what you have accomplished thus far in my life. And it's in that setting that he makes his request. And I have to say that I love this prayer. I love the honesty of it. I I love the humility of it. And I think it's a prayer that all of us can pray. I think it's a prayer that at one time in your life, all of you must pray, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes 
are upon you. Have you ever felt that kind of place in your own life? Lord, I have no power to resolve this situation. This is too big for me. It's overwhelming. I have no way to remedy this circumstance. And I don't even know what to do. But my eyes are on you. That's a good place to bring your heart when you need the Lord's help. Not coming in dictating terms. Not coming and telling him what you do know to do. If God will just execute what you already know is a good idea for him to... Now, there are times when you just make requests, but, you know, there are times when you just say, Lord, here I am. And, and, and there's this kind of, I'm finished with my plans. I don't have a plan. All I know is that I need your help. I need your grace. I need your power. I'm overwhelmed. This is too big for me. It's too deep for me. Maybe you felt that. Maybe some of you are in that place even tonight. Maybe you've had a loved one, a, a, a prodigal child. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to begin but to pray and to say, I'm resting on you. I'm looking to you. Maybe it's a circumstance in your life that's overwhelming, a situation, a financial uh, trial, some uh, beyond what you can figure out, anything that you can remedy. But Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I'll tell you, that's a good prayer. That's, a, that's an honest prayer. And I think there's sometimes when I imagined that I did know what to do, but only to find out that I really didn't know what I was doing. And I have to say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. Rescue. Verse 14, the Lord begins to move in response to this honest cry from the nation. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korathites, excuse me, Korahites, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. The Lord speaks. The Lord brings the word. The prayer is, Lord, we have no power to save ourselves in this situation, and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are resting upon you, and the Lord speaks. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't lose courage. I'm with you. I'm for you. This isn't your battle. This is mine. You're not going to have to fight you just go down and watch 
the salvation of God. You know, as I was just thinking on this earlier and preparing, I, my, my heart just went to the gospel. I was thinking of just my own heart when I came to salvation. And maybe you can reflect on this tonight as well. We come to the Lord as sinners. We come to the Lord guilty before him. And we, if we're honest, we have to say, God, I have no power to change or to save myself. I don't know what to do. I'm just looking to you. And the Lord speaks to your heart. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The battle is not yours. It's mine. You stand still and watch the salvation of God. How have you been saved? How have you been rescued from sin? How, has you, how have your sins been resolved if, if you stand before him guilty? Is there anything that you did? Is there anything that you had to do? What, was it a battle that you and I could have won or accomplished on our own merit or strength or good intentions? Or did we too have to surrender and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm looking to you. And in that moment of looking to him as we look to Christ, he who calls on the Lord shall be saved. The battle belongs to who? The Lord. Jesus has worked salvation. You and I have not worked it. God has worked it by his strong hand. He has brought salvation. We simply receive it. We simply behold it. And that's the heart that God can save. The heart that says, I have no power. I don't know what to do. The heart that thinks he can be righteous before God, the heart that thinks he knows what to do to be right with God, cannot be saved because he does not yet see his, his, his situation, his circumstance, the truth. You have no power. You don't know what to do. God has done it on your behalf through the love of and, and saving work of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of God, how he rescues all of our lives. He gives encouragement. He gives them instruction to believe, to have faith, to go down, and to watch what God is going to do, this beautiful promise. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. The Lord is with you. You go down, and God will bring out the entire victory. Look at verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They're coming out to battle and they're sending their worship team and choir out in front. Amen. We've got a worship team and choir. Get, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. 
And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Mass confusion breaks out. And they're in their confusion. They attack one another and they, just, they wipe each other out. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the choir is singing up and watching it all. Verse 24. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, and they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for they were blessed, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place is called the Valley of Barakah, the Valley of Blessing, until this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. What a beautiful victory, a testimony of God's power and his ability to deliver. Just as the prophet said, this is my battle, not yours. You won't have to fight, just watch. And so they go out, but they go out in faith. And that's important. They go out and they, they go out worshiping and praising the Lord. Now, the victory is not yet won. The enemy is still there and marching towards them. But they have such a confidence in God's promise. They have such a confidence that God has heard their prayer that they are going out in faith. Now, I'm, I'm a pretty good worshiper after the victory, after the deliverance, you should see me sing then. But I'm not all that, you know, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to, to, to bring up worship and thanks and praise and, and an honor to God when the, when the enemy is still approaching. No, but God has told you that he'll give victory. God has told you that he's with you. He's told you not to be afraid. I know, but I'll feel a lot better when it's over. That's when I'll sing. Oh, that's when you, that's when you watch, it, watch me worship. No, they go out in faith. Their confidence is in what the Lord has already promised and already done. And I think in some respect, our worship today, tonight, is done in faith. I mean, this isn't heaven yet, is it? We do. The battle is not yet over in the sense that we are still walking through the trial and struggle and spiritual warfare of this life. Paul said we war not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. But God has made promise, hasn't he? We know that we are on our way to victory, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that in Christ the battle is won. The salvation has been accomplished. The fullness of it, the, the, the full you know, glory of it has not yet been revealed. John says, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But in that day, when we see him face to face, when we know him as we are known, 
There is a day of glory and blessing yet to come. And for the, for the pilgrim, the man and woman of faith living in this life with the hope and promise of what God has accomplished in salvation, our worship should not be dependent upon the ups and downs of this life. There are ups and downs in this life. And there are great joys and, and moments of blessing in this life where, where it just seems singing and worshiping is easy. It just kind of, kind of bubbles out. And then there are times when it's hard to worship. It's hard to, to find a thanks, a praise, a joy because of the struggle, because of the trial, because of the forces that are aligned against you. And so in that sense, I believe all worship and praise has to be offered up in faith. Do you believe the promises of God? This is how this was the secret to Paul's some of the things that he wrote. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. How can he writes that from prison? Where what what he's he sees something beyond the circumstance, beyond the moment. He sees the salvation of God that he knows is true and real and promised and alive in his heart, and his heart is always ready to rejoice. Jehoshaphat, he rounds up the whole kind of worship ministry of the nation, and they go out in praise and worship, singing, rejoicing. God brings the victory, and they get the spoil, and they come home the same way they went out, rejoicing and praising and thanking God for the victory. So to worship in faith, to worship for the victory that God has accomplished in Christ, but the fullness of it yet to be seen in the future. There's more to come. There's more to come. Jesus said, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God ultimately has you? And that even the trials of this life are those that he is allowing and fashioned to work good things in your life, in your faith, and working all things together for good. I I do think there is a power when we offer our worship, our praise in faith. It it gives gives a, a testimony to our confidence in the Lord. That's why I just, I love worship. I, I think it's such a, a, a powerful um, gift that God has given to our, our hearts. For me, worship is a form and expression of prayer, and I see it as, as such a, a vital part of our, our walk and fellowship with the Lord, our prayer life, and, and our worship life is a dimension of our prayer life. We're giving him thanks. We're declaring who he is, what he's done, our trust in him, our confidence in him. Well, let's finish up here tonight. We'll finish Jehoshaphat. This is a great testimony of victory that he enjoys. And the writer kind of concludes with just one little footnote. Interesting. Verse 31. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king. And he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. This is a good king. Verse 33, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. 
for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. Now just a little footnote here and then one more and we'll close. But it said earlier in the earlier chapters that Jehoshaphat did take down the high places. Now this seems to be later in his reign that some of the people had reinstalled the high places. These were places outside of Jerusalem uh, where, where they would come and worship. Sometimes they would even worship Jehovah, but they would do it in the wrong place. God didn't want them doing it anywhere they decided. They did it for their own convenience. They raised up high places because inevitably those high places also became places where there was pagan and idolatrous worship. They, they, they may have even been sincere. Well, we'll just worship here because it's more convenient. We'll worship God in our own way. But their own way often drifted away from the way, God's way. They weren't there in Jerusalem, supposed to be done under the supervision of the priests. So um, this seems to creep back in, even though Jehoshaphat is doing his best to bring the heart of the people back to the Lord The writer lets us know that the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. So even good leadership, sincere leadership, doesn't doesn't automatically create the people's hearts responding well. It seems that some of the people did not turn their heart to the Lord. One last thought here, verse 35. And this Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, This would be Ahab, one of Ahab's offspring. Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. But Eliezer, the son of Dodava of Merishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So we get this one last little mention of Jehoshaphat. This is a good king. He's done well. God has blessed him. God has given peace. But in the latter years of his reign, he realigns himself with the north. Remember, he did this once before. He went down and tried to make friends with Ahab. And Ahab said, hey, will you go out to battle with me against, against the Syrians? Yeah, okay, I'll go. Remember, that almost, he almost got him killed. He, he came home, kind of rebuked, corrected, and settled back in to Jerusalem and started really walking with the Lord again. But now here at the end, he's trying again to make some little business proposition with the king of the north. And so they've, they've, they, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll trade together. Some kind of a trade deal, and, and he gets rebuked again. This is not, you should not have allied yourself. These guys are not seeking God. You've partnered up again. And, and, and who knows, maybe he was thinking, well, you know, it, it could work out financially for, for us, and it'll be a blessing. Who knows how he rationalized it. But the Lord lets him know, uh-uh. I told you once, I told you twice. Do not align yourself with these that are set their hearts against God. You're not going to prosper. We don't know how, but somehow these, all these ships, they never set sail. A big, a big trade project, a big, you know, uh, failure. And this is the end of his reign. Now, I think it's, 
I think it's a warning, but I also think there's an encouragement. You know, have you ever tried something and the Lord kind of rescued you out of it and you felt corrected and rebuked and you knew in your heart that, man, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Have you ever done that only to find out later you're out trying to make the same dumb mistake? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand tonight, but if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And so I I guess I like this, that even, here's a good king, but you know what? He's not a perfect king. He's just a man. And he's got the same shortcomings that we all wrestle through. You know, his heart was sincere and God honored that and God blessed him and God worked. And he was a, a man who really affected his nation, his generation for the Lord in a good way. But he had little moments of weakness where he misstepped, where he got off into his own agenda and more than once. And so there's hope. We all make mistakes more than once. Now, we're not encouraging that tonight. And, and the lesson is clear. Hey, God's opinion still hasn't changed. Sin is still sin. That's still not right for you. That's still not a good step for you. And sometimes we test the waters. Well, you know, things have changed, and I'm a better person now. I'm bigger. I'm more mature. I can handle this now. And off we go, only to find out uh, how silly, you know, no, this is still not healthy for you. So just a, a little warning there, but also I think an encouragement. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the story of this king, Jehoshaphat, and the wisdom that I hope, Lord, we can glean tonight and just bring some application into our New Testament journey. Lord, we live having witnessed the salvation of God, just as Jehoshaphat saw God go out and fight that battle for him. So we have seen Jesus, our Savior, go to the cross for us. And he fought the battle that we, could, we had no power to win. And he brought the victory that we had no ability to achieve. And we didn't know what to do, but you did. We had no remedy, but you, you saved us all. You sent your Son. And we simply today, we stand in faith, and we, we look to Jesus, we look upon his accomplishment at the cross, and we see the salvation of God, and we, re, we rejoice. We receive it in our hearts tonight. Oh, and, and, and the spoil of that victory, Lord, the abundance of blessing that has come to us, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the word of God as a lamp to our feet, the promises of God, which in Christ are yes and amen, an eternity with God, death, sin, the grave, all of it conquered by our victor, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we give thanks to you tonight. And we pray that these truths will encourage our hearts tonight, Lord. Just pray that you would minister to us even now as we close, Lord, and some worship, that you would minister by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.